Imperial Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Well hello, hello and welcome to the show My name is Brooke Taylor Today's guest is joining us from one of my favorite locations in the world She is a journalist Also currently working for the Department of Defense And reporting from Rome, Italy Just to take you into the scene We are actually connecting via video Where I see her on the balcony overlooking the dome of St. Peter's. It's not a green screen. This is the real deal. And she's going to talk to us about what not only is she covering there in Rome, but globally through her job as a journalist. A lot to dig into today. Joining us from that dreamy location in Rome, Brie Dale. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, Brooke. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be uh, talking with you all the way from Rome. Yes. So you are a Rome correspondent for National Catholic Register, Newsmax, LifeSite, and others, but originally from the States. Yes, I am from the States. I am the Rome correspondent for Newsmax. I contribute to lots of publications, including National Catholic Register. So I'm really blessed to be able to, to be here and to be working at two jobs. And as we were talking off uh, camera, my, my passion is really for serving the truth. And also, you have a military background as well. I know Naval Surface Warfare Officer, you have a Master's of Diplomacy. Really, that is notable for your background. It's an honor to serve, and it is what I do also from my journalism. I I am an expert in IT project management and strategic communication. So the military has been gracious enough to hire me on in an amazing position here. So I'm very blessed. And thank you. Thank you for your service and what you do. And this interview is really important because, you know, it is your job to investigate and report the news, but it seems like the media has become the story in some ways with the the rise of fake news. We have the claims, the questions of objectivity, accuracy, integrity, and the power of big tech. So we're going to do our best to kind of touch on and cover those topics and more today. And I wanted to start with a quote that I pulled from The Economist, and it says, there is a dangerous weakening of society's truth-producing infrastructure. Speaking particularly about journalism and where we are today in the media. And you're in it every day. How true is that statement? So true, so true. And, you know, Brooke, it's what's really difficult is that we are seeing it on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, politically. Unfortunately, the news has become more about, like you said, the journalist being the story rather than the story being the story or serving the truth. Journalism, we are taught at a very minimal level, we're taught that you've got to serve the truth objectively, that the story needs to be corroborated with facts. We're not there to form people's opinion. We're there to inform people so that they can make the right opinion, make the right decision. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not the case. It's something that really was driven home to me when I was active duty and I was doing things with the military communications that I realized how easily misled people were, how easily nowadays people were just buying into one particular narrative than the other. And it's often by the use of manipulation of emotions, right? So emotions are being so high in the last few years, whether it's like, you know, orange man bad on the left, or, you know, everything is a conspiracy and everybody's out to get you on the right. There's a lack of communication, and now couple that with COVID and the lack of human dialogue, and we've completely seen a shutdown. And that's an unfortunate situation because that's where 
crisis manipulation is at its best. And we are seeing that, unfortunately, with either the right or the left. And yes, even in Catholic media. It's so interesting you brought up emotion because I was looking, it was back in 2016 that Oxford actually chose as their word of the year, it's post-truth. And now we hear it a lot. But the definition reads, it denotes circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And like you said, going back to like journalism 101 and what is it that journalists are taught? That is to be accurate, to be fair. Don't make yourself the story. Right. Know the integrity and be a voice for the voiceless. All of these things tell essential truths. But I think for us as consumers of news, there's some confusion because we don't know half the time if we're reading investigative reporting or an opinion piece. Yeah, and 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 that's the big thing. Uh, you know, I did a story about two and years ago, two and a half years ago, um, interviewing an individual uh, by the name of Dan Gabriel, and he is a former CIA officer. And I put that as a wink and a nod because when you are in the CIA, you are always in the CIA. Um, but in in this, we talked about disinformation operation. And what the CIA, which they're pros at this, what the CIA has done and what he did as a CIA officer was manipulation of the news. And I have actually experienced that on the other side, being the Navy, seeing that as well. So I was very concerned seeing early on the manipulation of communications. Now, something that I want to kind of point out, there's a video clip that Tucker Carlson uh, brought out in the, at the beginning of COVID. And this is an example. At the beginning of COVID, this town hall that was done via Skype, I believe, with Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. And in this conversation, they're talking about COVID, but then she brings up universal health care and health care for women and all of these, you know, ridiculous notions that they're trying to cram in talking about COVID. And then she said, this would be a terrible crisis to waste, as the saying goes. And I want people to understand that that applies to either the left or the right at this point. So how do you get through that, Brooke? How do you go through and navigate? And the only way nowadays is to ask yourself critically, is this logical? Is this reasonable? Are there cooperative stories behind this? You know, uh, is there factual data? And you have to ask, could this pass the smell test if you were submitting this particular story as a paper in college? This is where it gets muddy, though, because I think it was social commentator James Lindsay. I, I follow him. I like his work. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that what's happening is a new truth is being reimagined and reconstructed by the media in some cases, where this is a truth that rewrites the definition of family. This is a truth that rewrites the definition of biological gender and sex, for example. And then those same creators of this truth put it forth and are using that to create a pseudo reality, which is a pretty dystopian stuff. Because because what happens is there's no, if we can't even come together on what is knowable, on what is true on a basic level, there's no compromise. So this is what's difficult is we can't even align together on what is a man or a woman. 
Right. And you, you have to go back to like, again, the, the dialogue aspect, the, the conversation, the civil debate. One of the things that I've discussed with a colleague of mine who is going to be with me on a new radio program, we'll plug that in very soon. But Joey Mignot, he is a walkaway Democrat, and he is also coming back into the Catholic Church. But he's got questions, and he's a millennial. And one of the things that really brought him into this journey is the fact that there were on uh, many individuals like Ben Shapiro and others on the right, Michael Knowles, who consistently provide factual basis, factual evidence, uh, good arguments, but they were not afraid to have that confrontation, but in a civil way, they would always pr provide, uh, you know, civility, but really hit hit those those points with factual evidence, factual data, engage in debate. And he saw that the other side would just devolve into emotions. And because of that, he left. And I believe there's a majority of people out there who are standing by to see how we handle the, the debate and the, the civil engagement. But we're not going to ever have that if we don't have the ability and the platform for the free exchange of ideas. So what we are seeing right now with like the deplatforming in um, you know social media is the taking away of the voice of the people to be able to engage. We do live in a almost post-Christian era, right? So what is truth? We've got to get back to that foundation of that you know Socratic method of engagement to to be able to even find that level playing field wherever that is well, and and mission that way you know yeah and i think that's what's so challenging because this is what has been leveraged it's our emotion and so those emotions are being weaponized and people are being canceled and the most unbelievable surreal twilight zone things are happening do you think are you worried that we're approaching a time of censorship Taking a brief break to thank our sponsor, Select International Tours. For 34 years, Select has been in the business of helping people dream, plan, and enjoy pilgrimage. Every detail of your trip is considered and addressed from the best in-country guides to top-tier hotels, of course, daily mass, the best cuisine. And as a tour leader, I can attest that experience is above and beyond. And honestly, the best parts are not necessarily things you can bullet point on a brochure an opportunity to have an encounter with Christ through holy experiences, being immersed in other cultures, making lifelong bonds with fellow pilgrims, and learning more in 10 days than you could in many college credit courses. There's something very awakening and healing about pilgrimage, and I can't think of a better time to be healed and more fully alive than now. And right now, Select International Tours is giving you added peace of mind with their deposit guarantee. You won't lose your deposit if you need to change your plans more than 90 days before departure. Father John Michael Paul and I will be traveling to the Holy Land October 28th through November 7th of this year and next year to Oberammergau, Germany for the world-famous Passion Play, also visiting Munich, Normandy, and Paris along the way. Visit my page on the Select International website to not only see the details about these incredible trips, but also reserve your spot for the trip of a lifetime, selectinternationaltours.com. And now back to my conversation with Bree Dale. How worried should we be about that? Very worried. Very, very worried. The, the question has to be, why are you silencing voices? One of the real concerns that I have is the disinformation. So I'll, I'll give a perfect example. As you see back here, we see St. Peter's right now. It will be popping on. Uh, hopefully in a few minutes, we'll start to see the lights go on. You know, a few weeks back, we, we heard this disinformation that said, 
that, hey, because of a camera shot, there was there were sounds of fire, gunfire, and that the, the Vatican went dark and the Pope was arrested and people went berserk. But I question why did that happen, especially individuals who are really critical thinkers? Why not step back for a second, take a breath and say, who has the authority to arrest the Pope? He is a sovereign. He's a leader of a sovereign state. Who has that authority? No one has that authority. Okay, so is it really possible that there would be gunshots and, okay, so why don't we stop before we spread this and ask people who are here? And that started to happen. I started getting phone calls very, very early on in the morning, and I said, nope, St. Peter's is still on. And still I had people on social media saying, how would you know? And I'm like, because I'm here. You know, um, so there you have to ask yourself, why are they manipulating? What is the intent here? Because there are really bad actors and it's been actually reported. We've had Russia, we've had China, we've had Iran working inside our election process all the way up using social media to manipulate the message. We knew that that happened in 2016 and now we know that it happened in 2021. We have to ask ourselves is this logical? Is this reasonable? And we have to the average, The average busy mom who is not as ear to the ground as a journalist wants to know, maybe this is an obvious question, but I don't know, but I really think, are there bots? Is that a real thing? Yes, there are bots. Okay. There are lots of bots. And uh, it's one of those things too, when people say, are there trolls? Yes, it's part of the game. It used to be that social media was the wild west Everybody had an opinion. Everybody could say behind their computers what they wanted to do, which actually I think is still a possibility today. The big question is, and to circle back to what you had said, uh, circle back, uh, to circle back to what you <laughs> said, could it be possible that we're looking at censorship? Yes. And here's the question that I ask all the moms out there. What would you do in order to protect your children, right? Because if we say no censorship whatsoever right? No, free, complete, free, open speech, which is what the porn industry advocated for. Then we have like utter chaos and anarchy. But if we say yes to censorship, then we have to ask the question, who is the authority to censor? Who should have that authority? Yeah. Should it be the people to say no enough? Should it be the, the big tech? Should it be the government? And I actually, Brooke, put this out on Gab and on May We. I asked a, a, in a poll, who should have that authority? The vast majority of people who responded said the people and the people should discredit mm -hmm. the journalists who push out fake news. You look at the Federalist Papers and you look at our constitutional republic and that's the way that it's always been. And I w wanted to ask you, it really leads up to what's happening with Tulsi Gabbard. I think a lot of people on both sides of the aisle have been supporting what she's doing. And I have a quote where she says, let's be clear, the John Brennans, Adam Schiff's and the oligarchs in big tech who are trying to undermine our constitutionally protected rights and turn our country into a police state with KGB style surveillance are also domestic enemies. The argument says the First Amendment does not apply to private companies, but these are private monopolies. And she goes on to talk about there is a legal precedence to this. And so just curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Well, I'm a journalist. So I, again, like I, I'm there to inform and not form people's opinions, but I do think that she has a point to be made. And I think people need to hear what she says. She's a fellow ver a veteran and I respect her in many, in many ways. And I think she also recognizes the trends that we have seen in oligarchies and uh, and actual dictatorships about how they they move very quickly 
towards the censorship and the shutting down. And that, I want to say, Brooke, it was one of the things that really scared me leading up to the, the elections was how very quickly they silenced the 45th president of the United States, how very quickly they did that. It was from one platform to another to another. And then there was a massive, and it's still going on, a massive like wipe of many of the followers on these social media outlets. Many of us who had thousands of individuals following us, I lost thousands of people like almost instantaneously over overnight. And the claim was with the, that those particular accounts were Q accounts or whatnot. You've shut down voices. And when you do that, I, I said this, you, you put yourself in a position where you are risking hitting it, putting a dog in a corner and hitting it enough times, it's going to bite. And so when we heard about people being, you again, utilizing the, the aspect of emotion to try to really rile up individuals and then they went to the Capitol, I wasn't really surprised on that because manipulation and manipulation of communication, that's what's the, the result. And we can see that in Mao dictatorship when we saw, you know, videos out of Mao when Mao was overthrowing in China. You can see exactly what they did. And it's very similar to what we're seeing right now. But people are pushing back. And I think that's the key to democracy. So when you say on this poll that you threw out there and most people voted that the people really should be the accountability balance, what does that look like? Right. So I have tried in vain to to speak with someone at Twitter because they actually have a program going on right now called Birdwatch. Have you heard of this? No. So they've started it as a pilot program. And what they're trying to do is to get people who are engaged on Twitter to check, fact check. So this could or could not work, right? Because just the regular Joe could be a, you know, a troll in there and just being like, you're stupid and put it on, on Twitter. But I don't think that's really how they're, they're looking at doing this. I think instead they want people to be able to go back and debate with the people who have posted something as as a statement to say, actually, no, this particular report says this. Here's the link, and it's a bird watch. So I don't know exactly mm-hmm. how it works because they won't speak to me. So uh, at this point, that's, that's all that I've been able to gather. Will it work? I don't know. But I do believe that debate and factual uh, using factual evidence you know, to cross your opponent in debate is that's the way to go. And I, I, I think that we can see that on social media. But the big the big question has to be, are people being trained early on to be critical thinkers? And that's where I think we, we have to kind of look at to, uh, you know, we're talking about the working mom who's afraid of, you know, not being able to follow all the news to be able to. The first thing you have to do, moms, <laughs> is to train your kids to critically think and think logically, you know, use the logic, the basis of logic. And if you don't know logic 101, there's plenty of things out there that you could you can use in order to get to that like Aristotelian Socratic method of logic. Mm-hmm. And from that point, then you engage your kids early on in critical thinking. You are raising a generation who will question And that's what's really needed today. It sounds a bit overwhelming. Okay, I have to, for myself, filter this. What is opinion? What is conjecture? What is fact? You know, this is truly objective. This is subjective right here. Every line, every... And I think what's good is we have learned, we have been trained to see, I believe that this is a trustworthy person. I believe this is a trustworthy source. But again, that's so tough. You're you're shaking your heads. What are your thoughts about that? People who I would say I would have trusted a year ago have been completely compromised, and I won't name their names. It, and when I say completely compromised, 
were warned about certain disinformation and published it anyways or used it. And I, I question, okay, what was the motivation on that? And it tends to go down towards money or it could yeah. be an ideology. So I uh, have uh, a saying that I've put into my back pocket and it's, it's one that I kind of live my journalistic life on. Never trust, always verify. Because mm -hmm. in today's unfortunate 24 hour a day news cycle, people are out there to get clicks, people are out there to make money and motivations are that way. And even unfortunately in the Vatican, we have seen that there are individuals who are of the same mentality. And so we don't know who the motivations are. We have to pray about that. But I think right now, one of the big things we have to pray for is for discernment and the spirit of discernment and what God can give us in that because he wants us to navigate these waters. But then I would also say, don't trust me hold me accountable. Don't trust any of the Catholic media. Hold them accountable. If they report something that is incorrect or is proven to be wrong, hold them accountable because you can make a mistake, but if they don't retract and correct, they are not being good journalists, whether it's left or right or in the center, they're not being honest. And what we need today is accountability towards the truth. And I echo that. In all the years of being in radio, some of the most instructive moments were when a listener reached out and said, I'm sorry, but you're flat out wrong about that. Now, there are some people who just don't like you. They don't like your opinion, right. but there are right. also valid corrections that need to be made and heard. And that feedback is really valuable. And I always say, don't hesitate to use your voice and to reach out. And the other thing, when you talk about praying and, and discernment, and we're in a time of Lent, so one of the things that I'm working on is a spirit of detachment. And I really struggle with this because back in the day, we did not have a tidal wave of tweets and 24-hour cable and internet giving the take on the news of the hour. And essentially, every human being has their own printing press with the advent of social media and right. being able to communicate in this way. And so I often think about that. How much are we supposed to even know? How much are we supposed to be digesting? And you are in a job where this is your full-time mission. So how for you does it not swallow you? And for all of us, is there a balance? Is there a prudential middle somewhere? It's so funny that you said swallow this because I like, I am literally, I have a, a screen image on my phone of a woman like literally like going down in the water. <laughs> and um, well, yeah. I've taken on, I mean, I've taken You're on, a really um, good I, swimmer because <laughs> you, you have kept, you have kept the float. <laughs> well, I've been doing the best I can. Here's the thing is that this past year, uh, a really very amazing, prayerful man told me the other day, we were sitting down for coffee and he said, you know, Green, it seems this past year, especially, but right now, especially, uh, everybody's getting hit. Prayerful people are getting hit in their most vulnerable places. And I think it's really key because to know thine, thyself and know thy enemy is a, is a big it's a big factor in warfare, right? And and we are in a spiritual war. And so what is my weakness? What are the things that the devil's really hitting me on? And boy, has it been a year, let me tell you. And I know a lot of people have felt very similar, felt like attacked. Brooke, like it's, it, the detachment is necessary. My passion is for the truth. And I think that that's why it's, I'm able to stay afloat is because I think to myself, I am serving the truth. And the moment, and I've said this, the moment, because I'm blessed, I can do this. Uh, the moment I see myself being compromised in one way or the other, I'm out. I'm done. I'm walking. I feel it as an obligation, kind of like my service in the military. It's an obligation to the people who read me or to who watch me on, on Newsmax to to see that I am 
trying to provide them the details and the stories behind uh, some of the breaking news and, you know, the sourcing so that they can make decisions and not be in a panic, but think in, in reasonable civil ways and, and joyful I think, ways. <laughs> yes. And that's also, it sounds like a trite comment, but a soldier of truth as well, because that's what you, when there's a story and everybody's running away from a crisis or something, you're going in to cover it again, to give the voice to the voiceless and to get that out there. And we're so grateful. It's another way to serve, which actually brings me to the beautiful setting of where you are and Rome in St. Peter's and the Vatican and the church. It is, we mentioned you're a faithful Catholic. You're also committed to bringing the truth, unvarnished, accurate to us. How hard is that? for you when you see stories coming out of Rome that are personally unsettling or that are painful to cover? There have been some stories that I have had to hand off to others because when it comes to like sexual abuse or abuse of the sacraments, those things are too close to home. I can't, I can't handle them personally. I get emotionally involved. And like I said, I don't want to find myself compromised one way or the other because these are complicated situations. They're so complicated. And who at the end of the day is is responsible? If there is a priest who has victimized someone, is the bishop responsible for that? If the bishop says he didn't know, is he responsible for that? Well, in my opinion, in the chain of command, the highest person with the secret is the one who is responsible, right? So, right. Um, but it's not as, these are lives, these are souls. One of the things that have really caused me a lot of stress has been the McCarrick story because it's the Vatican and the Vatican knew a lot of this. And I know from victims that what they truly desire is repentance and restoration. And we haven't really seen that. There's been a lot of one pointing to the other and there's a lot of hypocrisy on both sides, I must say. So it's, it is very, very difficult at times, but what drives me is, again, the truth. And I believe that there's a necessity to serve the truth, even if it means transparent, you know, transparency here. And it's one of the things that I've said, Brooke, for those of us who are journalists, especially those of us who report on the Vatican, we have to live our lives transparently. We're not going to be perfect by any means. We are so broken, all of us in society today. We uh, keep close to the sacraments, especially the sacrament of confession and the sacrament of the Eucharist, but also live our lives transparently because the devil works in darkness and he will come out and undermine the truth by putting it, the story on you right? So to yeah. live your life in accordance with the faith. And if you can't do that for whatever reason, if you have a, have a secret, then you have to ask yourself, is that, could that be possibly affecting the way that I am reporting on the church? And if that's the case, that is so you important. Be, you have to be self, you have to be the person who is responsible enough to say, I serve the truth and therefore I need to step away from this story. And I think that not a lot of people do that nowadays, because again, the temptation for fame or the temptation for money or an ideology gets the better. And that's where the devil gets in nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And we reflect on this so much during this time of Lenten pilgrimage, the, the yes. ways in the opening season premiere, I talked about that through the world, 
through our own flesh and through the enemy. These are the three areas that we're tempted. And certainly when it comes to pride, when it comes to, I mean, that was one of the ways that the enemy tempted our Lord in the desert. It was a road right. to political popularity or, you know, the fame and the glory. And that just in our day and age, it always has, speaks to that flesh part of us for sure. An exactly. enormous story. Uh, I know that I, I, this sounds silly, but I was so proud of you. And I was so touched by your coverage of the interview you had with Cardinal Zen, his plight the way that you articulated the story. You had the honor of sitting down with him when he was in Rome. Could you explain what's happening with him for those that don't know and what that interview was like for you? Oh, Cardinal Zen, I have to tell you, this was completely a godsend, a god wink, because I was sitting in a cafe on the Borgo, where I am very close to where I live, drinking with a, a coffee with a friend, and I was literally saying, I'm done, I'm going to walk away. <laughs> I, I literally wow. was done with with um, Catholic media. I I don't like the dissensions. I don't like the fighting back and forth. The the political. I just don't want to deal with that. You know, it's like what you were talking about spiritual discernment. You know, when you see in Galatians the uh, the spirit of the flesh, and you know what are the fruits of the flesh, what are the fruits of the spirit. I see a lot of right. that dissension and division. So I was like, I'm walking. And my friend said, Bree, there's Cardinal Zen. I said, what? Because I had been talking with him for two years, and I had asked him if he had any plans to return to see the Pope, and he said no. And I turn around, and there he is. So I go up, and I said, you're evident that he gets this big smile because he recognizes me, and we talk, wow. and I'm like, can you come over for breakfast tomorrow? Me being like the American, not knowing the different like things. So that was you're he with an entourage, or, or was he just no, alone? He was with his, he was with his secretary. His secretary, or and they wow. came over for breakfast, and we had this breakfast, con like two hour conversation where we spoke about so many things off record and on record. It was just, it was like I got to see one of my spiritual fathers and really tried to place the persecuted Chinese. Christians who are on my heart, just like the persecuted Christians in the Middle East, the persecuted Christians all over the world. That is one of my missions. One of my goals is to place a voice, put a face and a name to the persecution. And he honored me with that. And I was so blessed to be have been able to do that. And Brooke, not only was he willing to do that, then I was able to connect him to EWTN, my friend at EWTN. And immediately, they were able to schedule a time for him to sit down with them. So it was like, boom, boom, boom. We were able to get his his voice out, which was amazing. It was a godsend. And you could see, like, again, it opened up the fact, maybe God wants me to continue on <laughs> doing the media work. Yes, confirmation. Yeah. You think about that, that straight line from that conversation to, and his story, His if for those that don't understand, can you just, now I don't want to say understand, right. but haven't heard maybe what's going on in China and with Cardinal Zen, can you just give us a quick snapshot? Sure. So Cardinal Zen was actually ordained in mainland China, and um, that was under the Communist Party at the time. He is a Salesian, and he eventually was made Cardinal Archbishop of Hong Kong. Um, he is dear, dear friend of Pope Benedict. He knew uh, very well Pope John Paul II, and he's been very much involved with engaging and advocating for the church, the underground church in China. So he retired, 
And here comes Pope Francis and the Francis pontificate. And he engaged with Pope Francis, knew him when he was a cardinal and a bishop. What he started to see, though, was out of the Secretariat of State, some machinations that he knew were taking place before uh, Pope Francis. It, it took place before um, John, uh, Pope uh, Benedict and during John Paul II's day, that there were individuals who were really trying to make an effort to, to come together with the CCP for the, chi the Chinese church. But every time it landed on the desk of the popes, they said, no, we're not going to make a deal with the communists and sell out our people. And so when that happened under Pope Francis, Cardinal Zen said, no, 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 this cannot happen. And we don't even know the details. I don't even know the details. I'm a Chinese cardinal and I don't even know the details. So he came to, uh, to Rome and spoke with both Pope Francis and Cardinal Pietro Perlin, who is the Secretary of State. And I wrote about that. I covered that. I just translated his story for LifeSite for them. That happened in July of 2019, I think. And then the pandemic hit and all of that took place. And now we've had this renewal of the Sino-Vatican deal still secret. No one knows the what what's in there for the Chinese Christians. But what we do know is that the, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, can choose the bishops that go over this patriotic church that they founded. And I don't know how that's apostolic. Cardinal Zen has said, it. even Pope Francis says that they're in schism. So how is it possible that they can actually be part of the church, the body of Christ, if they were chosen and ordained by the CCP? And so those are the those are the conversations that probably should have been taking place before they made a deal <laughs> with, with the CCP. Well, I pulled from your article a quote, and he said, I've done more than I can, and there is nothing more to do other than prayer. If tomorrow the Vatican chooses this bishop, blessed by Beijing, if they appoint this bad bishop for Hong Kong, my job is finished, and I will choose to disappear. His heart, his faithfulness is so evident for not only our Lord, but the church. Right. And the people he who is. are persecuted there. And, and he has been nothing but an advocate. He has been nothing but an advocate on this. It, it, it breaks my heart because you can see that he has done, he has expended himself. And the bishop that he's talking about is that right now, Hong Kong does not have a bishop. They've been waiting for years now for a new bishop. They have a cardinal who was after Cardinal Zen, who's kind of CCP friendly, who uh, right. has put forth some uh, some names of individuals who, again, are CCP friendly. And Cardinal Zen said, you don't know your people. <laughs> you cannot have someone who is representing the CCP. You've got to have people who, uh, a man of the church. Which is and an so atheistic Entity. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, he has he has asked now. He's called upon Cardinal Hagley, who is now in charge of the dicastery for the missions, which is what uh, one of the powers that actually advised Pope Francis to please put forth a name of a bishop who is a man of the people, and that's all he can do. Yeah. And that brings me to something else, which is so difficult worldwide. I mean, you're tasked with covering, I know you cover news of the church, but also global events. But touching on the Biden presidency, he is the second Catholic president elected to the office of commander in chief. I understand reportedly in his office, the Oval Office, there's a picture of he and Pope Francis. And yet we know that he is outside of the church. The church teachings on preeminent issues such as abortion, to cite just that example. But it takes us back, I think, to the media reporting on his Catholicism. 
is very difficult for Catholics who are faithful. And even in the USCCB, I know that there has been conflicting statements and opinions. I don't even know. I have so many questions about that. I guess, first of all, how can we expect, so we maybe know what to expect, that his faith is going to be covered over his term? Because right now, when I see mainstream journalism, it seems like it's a a done issue. Everyone, he's a devout Catholic. That's often how I hear it described. But rarely a mention that this is this is in conflict with church teaching uh, so right. i guess yeah how how is the media how should we expect that's going to be covered and always and forever our main mission is to pray yeah and i would say it, it we're already seeing what how they're going to spin this and it is a spin had cardinal burke come out and say no you cannot receive communion he's done that multiple times now we've had other bishops do the same and then we've had cardinal gregory come out and say well that was an unfortunate situation we've had um, cardinal supich do the same so we are seeing that internal struggle internal conflict that we are seeing in the church i would say for regular Catholics like you and I, all we can do is continuously about the what the church has always taught 2000 years. Keep showing yes. that and it doesn't need to come off of our authority. Use what the church has said. Use what the uh, the doctors of the church have said. Use what the saints have said. Just put that out over and over and over again. I've actually um, advised a bishop about that. Your your grace, you are a teaching bishop. That's what you're supposed to do. Form your people teach what the church has always taught. It doesn't have to come off of your authority, even though you do have the authority. They can't counter 2,000 years of church uh, teaching and tradition. They can try, but they've tried in the past. They've tried to infiltrate the church in the past, and it's never worked because Christ has made us a promise. So how is it going to reflect on the Biden presidency? They are going to do everything they can in the way of uh, propaganda to say he is an example of Catholicism, and the rest of you are antiquated and extreme. That's how they'll do it. I have to say, I saw, I think it was out of Germany, Germany originally published, and I don't remember the the journalist's name, so I apologize, but there was an article in which he put forth this idea of, because we know there is division from the highest levels all the way down, could there be a schism? Germany, I would say, I think you're going to have to take a look at the the facts that are coming out of Germany, but I would say that uh, there are some real concerns about schism with Germany, and it's it's because... The Pope has made himself very clear about certain things with regards to synodality and what the limitations are on that. And yet the German church has come back and said, no, we're going to do how we want to do and we're going to inform you how we're doing things. So that is at a head. Right. And I think doctrinally, they're way off the map, but that's kind of been the case, I think, for for decades within Germany. Of course, there are, you know, always some things that we're hearing because it hits the media more than others. But there are very good Catholics uh, everywhere. But in reality, yes, I think that when you don't accept the teachings of the church, and we're talking about 2,000 years of history, doctrine, and tradition. We're not talking about what one particular bishop or cardinal or even pope has said, but the, right. the fullness of it. If you're not willing to do that, then you are de facto schisming yourself from, from the head. Yeah, I hope to have you back because, oh my goodness, there's just so many things because I wanted to talk about globally persecuted Christians, so many other things, but I want to end because we have to wrap up on a hopeful note. What has been maybe the most inspiring story that you've covered? Because you really do cover it all. And I just encourage people to visit you. I know that you're on Twitter and on Facebook and on all the platforms, also your website. You really have beautiful stories. You have insightful stories. And it just made me wonder, like, what has filled your heart that you've covered recently? 
so hard. That's a good question to ask me. You know, I love the story of St. Joseph the, uh, you know, uh, that I just published with uh, Father Calloway. That to me was the miraculous thing. And, you know, he's such a need for this time. But another story that really has filled my heart has been the story of Hala Goloro, who is a young Christian from Iraq. She was in Mosul at age 11, and she escaped uh, with her family with only the clothes on her back and for years escaped ISIS. And yet she ended up being the number one in her class and the only female Christian. And she's actually going to be covered by EWTN. She just was interviewed by Colin Glenn, my friend and colleague, about what she's been doing. She is just an amazing mind. She is an amazing heart for God. And she's, uh, you know, just multifaceted. She sings, she's studying dentistry, and she's such a strong Catholic woman. So she really is an inspiration to me. Oh, wow. Okay, we're pre-recording this. So by the time this video is seen, our interview is heard and seen, that should be out, do you think? It will the, be out. The, the story? Think, okay. Yes, I think it will and be. You, now you, you teased us. I saw it shared all over and I'm like, oh, I need to go back and read this. But for those that don't know, because I personally didn't read it yet, the story about St. Joseph, the year of St. Joseph, can you just give us, you just touched on it, a yes, quick tease? go read it because, you know, <laughs> share it with everyone, make it go viral. That's what I'm asking everyone to do because this should be a time of hope for us to see that God is working. Uh, we know on December 8th, Pope Francis made this declaration worldwide that it will be the year of St. Joseph. But what we don't know is that in 2019, Father Calloway wrote a letter and it had it hand-delivered by a bishop from Argentina, a brand new bishop from Argentina, hand-delivered to the Pope a request for a year of St. Joseph. And the story is just miraculous in what happened. And now, just this past month, Father Calloway has sent another letter and he is asking Pope Francis to make permanent a feast on the dedication of Our Lady and St. Joseph's marriage. And what we need oh. right now is St. Joseph, who is such a man for masculine men. And he really has some very, very hard words to say to even Catholic men, men who are seeking virtue right now. He has said that uh, impurity, impurity of intention, impurity of thought and word and deed. Even men who are seeking virtue, if they're praying impurely, like looking at themselves narcissistically, they have become spiritually impotent. This is what he has said. And he said, mm. St. Joseph is the key to this. So please go and read it. Because Amen. It's just an amazing, amazing story. We love Father Calloway. He's been on the show before. His consecration to St. Joseph, I think, has caused such a revival. Well, we will. We will read. We will share not only that, but all the things that you do, we're just so grateful for. And so for people that want to connect with you, what's the best way? I'm on all of the social media. So Twitter is the best. Please follow me on Twitter because I really push a lot of things out very immediately. So it's at Brie A. Dale. I'm also on May We. I'm on Gab. I'm on Parlor, And I'm also on Facebook. Book. So please follow me on all of those things. Retweet. Let's get it out. I'm on with Newsmax. I am on with other outlets soon to be announced. And then I have also my regular work with National Catholic Register, whom I love dearly. So that and we are so grateful for the partnership and more to come. So God bless you. And as we started, the sun was starting to set. Now, yeah, now it I is a light. twilight. <laughs> yes. And your lights are on. I wish you could fit us all on your porch, but we'll just have to settle for come this for now. Oh, my my goodness. Cannot wait to, to be able to, to do that again someday yeah. to travel to get back there. So God bless you. In the meantime, we will just connect with you. And thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you as well. And may God bless you. And please pray for me, everyone. 
Thank you again to my guest, Bree Dale. So much to think about after a conversation like that. You know, I keep going back to the most important news, the truest news we know already is the good news, the good news of Christ, the gospel message, and listening to his voice, the voice of the good shepherd. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And in a time like we're in now, what peace that brings us. And also the beauty of what Bree shared about St. Joseph and asking for his intercession as well, calling on the communion of saints, staying close to the sacraments, and doing our best to be a living witness, which is very close to us in a time of Lent, where every day we think about how we daily are called to conversion. A reminder, the full video version of this conversation is available on my YouTube channel, The Brooke Taylor Show. You can see that beautiful Rome backdrop and hear the complete conversation between Bree and I there as well. Thank you to my producer, Mark Cumming, for his dynamic skills and quick work. Mark is a producer extraordinaire, so for any audiovisual needs you may have, check him out at cominghomestudio.com. God bless you, friends. Until next time, peace and love.